Welcome to the Healing Courageously podcast, where we engage in open, honest, and healthy conversations about everything from addiction, abuse, and recovery, to marriage, family, and spirituality. We hope you find this podcast helpful. Our goal is that you will find a new way of living as you look closer at yourself in these areas of your life, which will lead to a new and happier and healthier you. Now, here's your host, Randy Boyd. Well, thanks for joining me on this episode of Healing Courageously. And today we have two special guests, Josh Hundell. He's a co-founder and president and also known as the coach of the Carpenter Shed, along with his partner, Kyle Smith, who's also the co-founder and the operations director. So I'm going to talk to them a little bit about their, um, their facility. They work with young men. And if I, if I am correct in understanding you, Joshua, in the last conversation, you get the boys, the, the young men, right out of rehab, and then they come to you, and you guys work with them and help them create, uh, become free from the pain of the chaos of life, and learn how to you help integrate them back into the everyday life of, of, of the world. Is that pretty much what you guys Yeah, think? that's pretty accurate. I mean, we do work with also a lot of kids that I mean, basically the way we define them is they've gotten off the rails. I mean, they're on that slippery slope, you know, headed to maybe severe addictions or, you know, severe problems in life. So not all our kids come from a rehab, but we have, we work with a mix. You know, we're okay. with a lot of guys that need to go to a rehab facility. We kind of call rehab as the open heart surgeons. Right. You know, we are more the rehab after the surgery you know, walking them back into life, teaching them the life skills that they need to uh, be able to live independently, uh, kind of carry, we use this language a lot, carry their own weight of existence, you know, because, I mean, a 17-year-old is not going to carry the same amount of weight as like a 21-year-old. But, you know, for a lot of these kids, they don't carry any weight, you know, and this, you know, what, what happens when you don't carry any weight, you don't develop. And so we teach these kids how to carry that weight, uh, be responsible and get them on a path of maturity, you know, and, and like you said, deal with all the chaos that's gone in their lives along the way uh, as well. Yeah, in our last phone conversation, I was really impressed with the work that you do. I think that you're probably the only place in the, I believe, the only place in the country that does this kind of work with young young men and, and boys, which is, yeah. go ahead. Carl. Yeah, it's kind of hybrid. It's not, you know, residential inpatient care and it's not just transitional living it's the the combination of both which makes it very unique right, exactly. yeah and something else that makes it more unique too is, i mean we do that in, in everyday life right we, we don't lock them down into a facility to try to teach them these things so i mean it makes it a little messier uh because you know we're we're kind of the introduction to freedoms again right a lot of these kids you know been in some lockdown facility they have no freedoms you know we always make a joke a lot of these guys you know our doors being unlocked you know you know, whereas they're having to ask to open the door. So we're trying to reintroduce the world and teach them how to live in a normal setting. But the good thing about that, even though it's a little messier, when they gain traction, you know, they're choosing to live, you know, a healthy life. And that's important as opposed to being made to, to live right. a healthy life. Right. You know? Let's create mess because, you know, as we all know, when we have freedoms, we have temptations. I mean, there's going to be struggle with that. And we can't make anybody do anything they don't want to do. You know, That's right. they, they, they got to want it to begin with, right? You know, That's right. But my wife sent me a quote this morning um, that is that is apropos, I think, to what you what we're talking about. It says most people don't want to hear the thing that will make it work better. They want to hear what will make it easier. 
True. You know, and yeah. that, I, I find that true in a lot of recovery, different, different, different areas of recovery. Yeah. I tell guys all the time, it's do what is easy, life will always be hard. Do what is hard, life will always be easy. I like that. That's great. That's really good. Yeah, a lot of these kids, a lot of these kids choose the easier path. Yeah. I mean, if you give them an easier path, they're going to choose it. You know, yeah. so I mean, that's where a lot of the struggle lies with a lot of these families and kids. Right. I think that's true to nature for all of us at times. It's you mm-hmm. know wanting to do what's easy and feels good in the moment, but that does not always beneficial. No, not no. I think. I know I found out the hard way that not the easy roads is actually the harder road. I think we've all all been there. Let's let's back up just a little bit. Why don't you tell each of you tell us just a little bit about yourselves so people can understand where you're coming from and 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 so on and so forth. So, whoever wants to start. Yeah. So, I mean, kind of back up a little bit. I mean, this was not you know what I set out in life to do. I'd set out life to do to play professional baseball, and I got that opportunity out of high school. Got drafted by the Pittsburgh Pirates in the 13th round, and got to pursue my lifelong dream. Uh, did that for about five years. Uh, got hard. Uh, I tell everybody I retired, but truth be known, I quit because it got really difficult. And, uh, and I made sure I talked to the people that would encourage me to quit, as opposed to the people that would encourage me to stay on. You know, uh, but you know, it also became one of the biggest kind of wounds later on that would play out in my life but I went from baseball to football and got an opportunity to play college football and uh and so I got to come back I could have gone either way out of high school so I came back here to my local town uh, University of Louisiana Monroe played college football for a couple of years and in my second year I actually suffered a traumatic uh injury a uh, brain hemorrhage uh got hit you know head hit the ground caused bleeding uh, so here I am at 25 you know and the doctor said, hey, you can't play no more. All of a sudden, my identity was stripped from me. Um, known as this athlete. I thought I was going to be doing that, coaching it, playing it, doing something along those lines. But that same year, my father-in-law, who's the global director for Celebrate Recovery, started Celebrate Recovery here locally. And um, it was my wife that encouraged me to get involved in that. You know, and I I would have never guessed that, you know, that choice would be, you know, the choice that would lead me down the path, you know, to where – you know, we do what we do today. And so sure enough, I got involved in celebrate recovery and the funny, the stigma of celebrate recovery, you know, or any recovery is drugs and alcohol. Well, you know, I didn't have a drug or alcohol problem. So I was like, ah, you know, I don't belong here, but truth be known, I realized I got a, <laughs> there's a lot more issues than drugs or alcohol. And yeah. I figured that out in the way my wife helped me figure it out too, as well. Uh, and so I got involved in that and just kind of moved up the leadership rank, became a state rep, um, uh, Led the CR ministry, um, and I'll let him tell his part, but met Kyle on the way that journey. And, you know, when I got involved in that, we, we started recovery homes um, to help people, uh, really adults, you know, just your typical recovery home. That really opened the door uh, to what I do today. And, you know, about eight years ago, I was approached by developing a program just for kids. And I've always had a passion working with the young people. Uh, and so we ended up setting out on the journey of starting the carbon shed. I started with another guy that is now the, uh, the clinical director for Colorado Christian University. Uh, we did it for a few years and he had an opportunity to go there. So he made that choice and then allowed me to partner up with Kyle and another, uh, one of our partners, Andrew Dotson, who's our clinical director and uh, really redefine the carbon shed and, and what we do today. And so it's been a eight year journey to get to this point, uh, developing a program that specifically works with adolescents. And like you said, to your point earlier, as far as we know, we're about the only ones in the country that work specifically with adolescents. Um, 
you know, with a hybrid look of a little bit of inpatient that transitions kids to a normal state of living. Because most programs out there are either adult based, you know, and I kind of like call them ex- expectation based. Like, here are the rules and guidelines. Good luck. Well, most of these kids just don't have the ability to handle that. And they get overwhelmed or they're more inpatient based, you know. So we're trying to really, you know, develop this idea of what it means to become a young man, what that looks like for each kid and, and develop that. And that's kind of what that's how I got to this point. So. Right on. And Kyle, before, My, you, before you start, yeah. I just want to thank you for your services to the United States. And I thank you. I greatly, greatly appreciate that. Yeah, my story is definitely a lot different than his. <laughs> so, uh, grew up in a, in a good, good Christian home. Uh, you know, parents that loved me, but unfortunately, they enabled me also. Right? They were doing the best they could. I was the youngest of you know, four different brothers, so kind of got away with a lot. Started dabbling into smoking weed, uh, doing pain pills, drugs on the weekend, things of that nature. Until life started to kind of go somewhere. You know, I thought maybe I could find my way out of this. So I joined the Army when I was 18. I was first deployed to Korea for a year, uh, then got stationed at Fort Carson. Then we got sent to Iraq. And when I joined the Army, I thought, man, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. I had found my purpose. Like, it tailor fit me. I love structure. Like, it, it had to be where you had to be. All you had to do is follow the rules. Pretty easy. Well, uh, about almost a year into my deployment in Iraq, a little kid basically threw a grenade and it landed in the truck next to me between me and my gunner and pushed shrapnel through my whole right side of my body and, and injured me and several other guys in the truck. So I went from being a soldier, which I thought was going to be the rest of my life, which I really enjoyed to not being worth anything really. Cause I had the army couldn't use me. So spiraled out into a severe depression, ended up, you know, the rest of my team members, the guys I was in charge of, ended up catastrophically dying a month later. Uh, I just got married a month before that. So it was like a perfect storm of, like, where do I go from there? Uh, End up getting prescribed a bunch of pain pills, drinking a lot. It progresses. I moved back home. I start being an IV drug addict at that point, and the wheels really came off. And end up homeless several treatment centers later and came to a point really where it's just like, you know, something has to change. And really, I can I can think back through it all. And there was this one moment in particular in the back room of my parents' house where I just felt God was like, look, son, if you want to do this, you've got to let go and let me do it. Right. So I was like, I don't know what it looks like, but I'm just going to get rigorous honesty like real clear on what i need to do get honest and tell it by the truth and then go from there so i woke up the next morning uh told my parents kind of everything that had been going on for the last couple of years and then went looking for an aa meeting well it turns out i could not find an aa meeting in this town to save my life like and i went to like i've been to them before so i knew where they were so i go to everyone i was like man what is the deal it's like the one day i really want to get sober like and there is no meeting so I can remember there was this house in front of this church that I dropped some guy off when I left rehab early one time, and it was this sober living house. And I can remember going in, and he had a meeting list, and so I was like, I'm going to go to that house and see what that meeting list is. Well, I pull up in this church parking lot, and the house is gone. I was like, man, this is not good. So I'm in the church parking lot debating, like, how crazy will I sound if I go in here and ask them if they got a place for drug addicts? Because... 
down in the South, you know, the Bible Belt is not something you really do. Right? So I go in there and I say, you know, hey, you guys have any place for drug addicts? And sure enough, they were like, sure do. Some long-haired guy from the back walks out. And I was like, yep, that's my guy. So <laughs> I, can tell, I can tell he's walked the same road. So he comes out, tells me about the Awakened Recovery Homes, which Josh owned at the time. And I stayed there for about nine months and really just, really just changed my life. It was an amazing opportunity. It's one of the most cherished times, even looking back on it now. And through that, like really developed a passion for helping guys, you know, find the hope that I had and, you know, stayed on coming back to the meetings, even when I moved out. Eventually, Josh asked me, you know, if I would consider helping out some. And he was like, look, I don't really have any money to pay you, but like, you know, be great if you can. So I ended up just doing it for free for a while and ended up taking over running all aspects of the recovery home. Then he opens up the carpenter shed. And at first I said, I didn't want to do anything to deal with the carpenter shed. I was like, you know, that's not what, what I want to do. I want to, these guys that are drug addicts like me, it's like, that's what I want to deal with. Well, as time progressed and the more I thought about it, the more God was putting me in places that were uncomfortable for me. You know, I really thought I'm doing all this work for guys that have already had a problem when I could be doing things for guys before they get the problem. So in essence, these young boys that we work with are essentially just like I was in the same spot and just need a second voice and someone to mentor and follow them and help them down a different path, which, you know, I would have loved to have when I was their age. Mm -hmm. So. That's uh, it, it's there's a saying in the big book, and I'm hearing your guys' story. We all have stories, right? And there's a saying in the big book that my wife and I live by you cannot transmit something you do not have. And so, you know, for any of the listeners that are listening, this is a kind of a facility that if I had a child that was struggling with any of this, I would send my child to because of the fact that there's just not a couple guys off the street that decided to start a facility for young boys and, and making money off of it. They have a passion. They've, they've walked probably in a lot of your, in your, in your son's or husband's shoes in the past. And that, that is worth more than money. Can, as far as I'm concerned, money can't buy that. It's when we can speak and, the, and people can relate to us because we've walked in their shoes, that's when I've had the most success with the clients that I work with because they can relate to what I'm talking about. They understand I'm not just some academia guy that's, that's throwing stuff from a book out. Like I say, I told my, uh, my wife and I, we say we have a PhD in life, you know, in all different forms of life. So, um, so then, yeah, pretty much, you guys pretty much said what led you to start the carpenter shed, that you guys both have a passion um, to help young boys. And man, I, I really, uh, I really commend both of you for doing that. I wish there was more, more men that would do that because the fatherless children, or let me see, not the, the absent, the, the, the boys with absentee fathers, none of us are fatherless, but absentee fathers in this world. If somebody could just step up and be that father figure for them, a loving, Christ-loving father for them, the world would be a different place. You know, yeah. uh, it really would be. So, <clears throat> tell us again. I think we covered a little bit of this, but go into a little more depth of what the carpenter shed is, and, and the different pathways that you have for both 
the the uh, the parents and for your residents. I know that you you go both. You help work with the parents as well. Yeah, I mean, you know, when we first set out on this journey, I mean, I mean, I think we had every you know goal a parent you know would want. Right, try to provide a facility that was safe that would help their kid be sober and you know reconcile the family dynamic and you know kind of go back to this uh, this idea of like you know you know, your son before he got in trouble, mm-hmm. you know, like type of scenario. And, um, and man, we just, we ran into a lot of trouble with that. Um, because, you know, I mean, scripture talks about it, man, you know, kids leaving, you know, basically the nest, you know, moving on, becoming men and, and trying to go back to a dynamic that really should never exist again, you know, was a, a common occurring problem for us mm-hmm. because I mean, we'd have kids, I mean, we could get a kid sober, we could get a kid doing some good things, but go home and just basically mess it up again. And, uh, uh, it, probably about what three years ago, I think we had a, like a real heart to heart realizing, man, like, you know, I think we're going about this the wrong way. And so we set out on this journey, really kind of redefining, you know, our approach. And instead of, you know, making a kid basically happy in a hole, they're like, we need to teach a young boy how to become a man and yes. be responsible for his own choices, be responsible for his own weight in life. And, and what we realized, I mean, the dynamic the household of the family was really producing the kids. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of times we want to blame the kid, you know, like well, he makes bad choices, you know, he's got bad peers, but where does that come from? You know, what, what starts, you know, those pathways, you know, a kid just doesn't set out and say, Hey, look, I want to be a turd or I want to go do drugs or I want to go do all these things. There's usually a dynamic at home. Maybe there's a trauma. Maybe there's something that starts pushing kids in the wrong direction. And so we really had to get in there and start figuring a lot of those things out and uh, realizing you know, there's two problems to this situation. You know, we got the family problem and we got the kid problem, you know. And for us, the kid problem is pretty straightforward in, in how to help a kid go from being a victim to taking ownership, mm-hmm. you know, having acceptance and start doing the hard things that will overcome. But the other dynamic shift was the families. Yeah. We had to reteach them how to redraw lines and, and draw hard lines. You know, we have a thing here, you know, if, if a family will unite with us, we never lose a kid. You know, that's 100% success rate. Now, that's kind of a, a crazy number throughout that, but it's really true. Now, we always caution them, like, look, that path may be messy, and it may not happen on, you know, the six months here. Yeah, and it may not look like what the parent wants it to look like. Right, right. exactly. Yeah. But if you hold the lines, you know, and what, it, what it's doing is telling the kids, say, look, you cannot be a part of this family no more if you act a certain way. These are our lanes that you run in. And the kid, once he understands these are the lanes, they will begin to adapt because they want their family. They want those people back in their lives. Mm-hmm. They'll change their ways to adapt to the family. But some of these families are moving the lines. Yeah. You know, the kids are banging around, screaming, hollering, doing all the crazy, and the families are constantly having to move the lines. And you know, we talk about, you know, kids break the family dynamic. And that's why when I talk to families all the time, I said, what's happened is you've broken your dynamic. It's basically called your bluff. And it can happen to any family. It's where you lose the ability to develop them, to discipline them, to control your kids. Right. All of a sudden you can't punish them enough. You can't yell them enough. You can't take enough stuff away from them. They still, their behaviors are still the same or, or worse, you know, and when that happens, you have to make a change unless the family is ready to give up their, their careers, their lives and become the policeman. You're going to have to make a bigger change, you know? And so our job is to reset the lines with the family, you know, make them make the hard decisions and then teach the kid how to operate in those lanes again. And, you know, that's really what we started understanding. And it, and it goes back to this whole idea of becoming a young man. What does that look like? You know, when we're called to be young men, what does that actually look like for, for these boys? Yeah, and I would say, going back to Josh's previous statement, 
is the families and the young men accepting that it's not going back to when you were 15 and you had this sense of like, that's You're never, bad. never land, right. right? That doesn't exist. So, you know, you can't change anything you don't accept. Right. So as soon as families accept, hey, my son is not going to be my baby boy. He's going to be an adult son and we correspond and we act and interact differently. And the son understands that I'm not going back to be pampered and enabled. Like I'm going to be carrying weight and responsibility and I'm going to own the decision for my life. Things get better. Well, so many of these families want to prevent, you know, they want to prevent bad things to happen. I mean, what, what parent wouldn't, you know, this whole idea of keeping a kid from touching a hot stove, right? You know, you've heard that statement, you know, I mean, every kid gets in there by the hot stove and like, don't touch you, you're going to get burned. We actually tell families, no, they need to touch the hot stove. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, and I, and I promise you this, at 17 to 21, that consequence is going to be a lot less as opposed to when they're 25 to 30, you know, maybe other family members are involved, right? Yeah. Is there a risk to it? There is. But, man, I'll tell you what, the best teacher that we have is reality. Yeah. You know, and, and families want to remove reality. And it goes back to what he said, never, never land, you know, fantasy land. Like, right. you know, let me go live life without any consequences. That's that's not a life, you know, and um. And it's really, you know, and it's fun. It's funny for me because I have twin boys that are 17. You know, I teach you stuff all the time. I work with family all the time. But with my own boys, it's hard mm -hmm. to do what I'm teaching. It's much easier for me to, to coach another family as opposed to do my own kids sometimes. And I get it because there's an emotional attachment that these kids know how to play on, you know. And we do a lot of coaching on that. Like, look, you know, your son's going to call you and tell you all, all these terrible, horrible things, you know, and you got to hold these lines and it's, it's a hard message, you know, for a mom to hear, you know, most times moms have the biggest struggle with it. Yeah. And you know, one thing we always tell our families is, do you want them to be safe or do you want them to be strong? Right. So I have a son who's eight. And if I say, you know, climb the tree, son, you know, my wife's saying, no, don't climb the tree. Like how he could break his arm. He could fall out. And that is a risk. That is a very real risk. And he very well may. But if I never allow him to climb the tree, he never believes he can climb the tree. So when we're trying to constantly keep them safe from everything, we basically don't let them become strong. And really, a young man needs to become strong enough to face the world on its own, like looking life in its eyes and saying, this is what I have. I'm taking ownership for my consequences, my actions, and what I'm doing. So. You know, it, it reminds me of a couple of things with, with my, my son, um, my little son. He's 32 now, or no, I think he's 37. Jeepers. Um, <laughs> he, he was playing ball, baseball back in Wyoming, and he was having to drive back there one from California one time. And one of my, my suppliers, I was talking to him, and I said, man, I really want to take off and drive back to Wyoming with my son just so he's got somebody with him and I can fly home. And he said this to me, he goes, Randy, I was 17 fighting a war in Vietnam. Let your son be a man, right? Yeah. Right? And so, my, fortunately, my kids have all been, we haven't had any problems with them. They're good kids. They're, they work hard. But just recently, I can remember when my son Garrett, he's like, he's on my right hand all the time. We hunt together. We fish together. We do a lot together. And it hit me one day. And, and I, I remember saying this to myself. I says, Randy... You've got to let him go. you got to let him go. He's an adult now. He's working. He's got a family. He's okay. I, ha I had to tell myself that as, as a 60-year-old man, that, hey, he's okay. He's going to make it. You, you did your job as a father 
let him go. And so that was a great, great relief for me. We still do a lot of stuff together, um, but I no longer hold on to him like I got to protect him all the time. Right. I think that's I think that's an innate thing that all of us parents have. We want to protect our kids. But like you said, let them touch the hot stove. <laughs> let them stick a, a, a key in the, in the light socket. You know, let them feel that stuff so they know, so they learn, you know. Right. Um, so, you know, and, and it's like become a, you know, become a man. And it's like. When I tell people, you guys are so much. I'm hearing a lot of the same stuff, maybe just said differently, but I always tell people that, that before you met, before you sat down with me or before they sit down with you, they didn't have a choice, right, they, that they were aware of. They had lots of choices, but they just weren't aware of them, right? right. But now that you sit down with me, you can't blame anything on your past anymore because we started a journey of recovery. So you're, you're choosing to fall back into that that victim mentality where you could have chose to pick up the phone so you and I could have sat down and worked through it. You know, I mean, I, I feel really strongly about that. Now it's a matter of choices, right? You can't, you, you chose to go back there and that's not acceptable anymore. Okay. If you do, then the consequences are going to be so-and-so. And, and because I was so badly abused as a kid growing up, when I became a Christian again, I dove into the Bible because I wanted to hear what the Bible really said about abuse and hitting kids and all that. I got really strong beliefs about this, but I just remember in, uh, I think it's Luke, or no, it's in Colossians, it says, fathers do not provoke your children to anger, to cause discouragement. That happened to me all the time. So I'm being pushed and, 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 and pushed into this big anger mode constantly. I was constantly angry at the world because I had a stepfather and mother that were just put, constantly pushing me and making me angry. Now, again, I was a teenager and an adolescent, so I didn't know any other thing to do. But once I got in, when I was 49, I got into recovery. Then I had to start making the choice. I can't act that way no more. I'm not a little kid. That, that's got to go. I've got to break... The, four, the, the, the seven generational curses, it's my job to break that curse now. You know? So there's a lot of things that I think parents unintentionally don't know that they're doing to harm their children, right? I mean, that's the best way to say it. And I think their intent, you know, is good and, and well-meaning. Yeah. But you, you, we don't know what you don't know, right? So you can't see the future and you're just doing the best you can with what you have. And I think one thing that really amazes families is they get your son comes here and, you know, we're telling them all the same thing in a different way that they've been telling them for years. And they're like, well, I've been telling them that for the last five years. How does he get it all of a sudden? And that's where that power of the second voice. So it's, you know, I can hear something different from another man who I look up to and, and trust and believe that he's leading me in the right way than I ever will for my, my own father and mom. And then, and then how, how are we as parents relaying that information to them? That's yeah. what, you know, we, when we work with people, it's like, sure, you're, you're, you're voicing this, but how are you voicing it? What's, what, how are you communicating it to them? You know, are you saying it in a loving way? You might think it's loving, but ask your spouse or ask your child what they think. I mean, it happens all the time. So it's learning how historically, to Yeah, and if historically, you guys, you know, families have a rough dynamic where 
you know, they perceive it's going to be judgmental or mm-hmm. rough in nature. So you could say it in a nicer way. That their perception is like, I'm getting on to, or I'm not enough because that's just how they historically view the relationship. Yep, exactly. We have, we have a brand new client couple right now. They're older. They're not, they're not adolescents. They're older adults, but she revealed the other day that she, as a kid, grew up in a, in a home where mom just constantly yelled at the kids, and she's doing it to her kids now. She, you know, she brought all this up. So that's something my wife will work with her on. Is not, you know, it's that generational behavior, okay? But it's time to break that. Your your kids don't need to be yelled at. We need to learn how to talk to them in a loving way. That's not that not you're not babying them, but you're just talking to them in a more loving. I'll say Christ-like way than, than, than the screaming. So, a lot of times those conversations, you know, we bring a lot of clarity, you know, because you know, I tell them all the time. I mean, it's not like we're going to say anything different, but you know, when you remove the emotional attachment, yeah. you know, it's just man, you know, talking to a young man, you know, it's like there's no yelling, there's no nothing. It's just very clear. The kids are able to a lot of times go, "Oh, that makes sense." When my parents were doing this or saying that, you know, they were able to bring you know clarity to it. Mm-hmm. You know, which resolves issues, you know, uh, you know, because that's one thing, too. You know, we want to reshape that dynamic. You know, like you can't talk to your parents the same way you used to talk to your parents. Right. A young man does not speak like an adolescent. Right. You know, so we do a lot of coaching. And what happens when that begins to happen, it shifts, you know, that dynamic so much where they begin to have conversations. I mean, uh, it's so funny. Like a lot of the moms will come back and say, my, my son asked how my day was. Like, that's one of the big, you know, moments that, you know, you know, changes happen. Like, he actually cared about my day, you know. And that's what we're asking young men to do is, you know, like, hey, it's not about you no more, right? I mean, there's more people involved in this, you know. Think about others, you know, forward thinking. And uh, and it shifts that dynamic where all of a sudden now they're able to have really good, healthy conversations because parents are going to be involved in their life for the rest of their life. Right. We're not t- trying to remove the family out. Mm-hmm. We're just trying to go from an adolescent to an adult. And how, how, what should that look like for each kid and the family involved in it? It's essentially creating men of substance, men that have something to offer, which is I'm a young man. I care about her needs or dad's needs or the family's needs, you know, and not just what I can get. How do you, how do you deal with, because oftentimes men, right? And and I know what happened to me. It's happened to a lot of the men that I've worked with is that, they can't get in touch with their feelings because in some way, shape, or form, their voice and feelings have been shut completely down. Who cares about how you feel? It's not important. How do you guys work with it? How do you make that, that transition back into your feelings are important and what you have to say is very important? When a parent might have been the one that was doing that, hey, who cares? You know, who, who do you think you are? You know, who's going to listen to you anyway? How, how do you guys get that that back yeah i would say you know coming into a different system when they get here you know of course they they kind of put whatever junk their parents have put onto them onto us initially right so they're like oh you don't care anyway but really it's just intentional relational time spent was like no i I do care this is why it matters right i want to hear who you are i want to hear why you think that way so they believe and trust that, oh, well, maybe this is not the same as what it used to be. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the biggest keys to who we are is we, we're all about that relationship. We want to connect. So we do a lot of non-traditional, I guess, therapeutic approach. You know, we have the traditional where you sit in front of a therapist and do some of that serious hard work. But 
even our clinical director tell you, I mean, you know, the best bang that we could get for what we do is, is, is the non-traditional stuff. You know, you look at our staff, you know, we, most of our staff have, our guys have gone through different things, you know, similar to Kyle's story or, or some type of, they've overcome, you know, and, and they're all about giving back and connecting as well. So we have a unique set of men here that, you know, you know, I'm always going to relate to the athlete, you know, Kyle's may you know, relate to the drug addict type guys or something like that, you know, and we're able to build these bonds, you know, that really, you know, take down the walls. Yeah. Right. And, and accepting for who he is. I think that's something we do very well. Like we don't expect him to be somewhere when they get here. I don't hold grudges against what they did in the past. Right, hey, right. all I got is the information I have right here in front. Let's, let's build from this. And when that trust is built, and that's when the feelings start coming back out. That's when we can call forth those things that, you know, I mean, there's a many conversations where like, you should feel something about that. You should be ticked off at your parents for that. Or you should, you know, we, we affirm them, you know, we hear them. But then at the same time, it's like, ah, you're a little off base on that. You know, you need to redirect that, you know, it, it allows for that, you know, that relationship, you know, credibility to happen where we can speak life into them. And we get the right to do that by building that, you know, mm-hmm. for a while we, we try to figure out, like, what is the secret sauce? Why is this working? <laughs> like, I mean, we're not super intelligent guys. We don't have a bunch of degrees. And what really just has been revealed is just, it's just what God has done in us, mm-hmm. right? All this is just coming out of what God has brought out of our own hearts as men and just who we are as people, because we spend a lot of time with these guys, right? We're not hiring, you know, all these people. And we never see the guys like we're sitting down with them you know, once a week, spending time intentional with them. We see them throughout the week also. So it's basically just because of who we are and what God's brought us to. You know, and I heard the big word, or it was, I don't think it was said exactly um, like this, but validation. And I know when I walked into my first treatment center, because all my life I always heard, ah, you know, just forgive, forget, and move on. Who cares? You know, who do you think you are, Randy? Nobody's going to listen to you. But the first therapist I had started listening to me without judgment. I think that's key to you guys. There's no judgment whatsoever. It's just we're right here right now, and I don't care what you've done in the past. We're going to start fresh right now. And and when I I went into treatment, just like I think you said, Josh, I was validated, and you were – angry at your mother and stepfather you should be angry at your mother and stepfather for what they did to you. i was angry at god is that okay yeah you could be angry at god right but let's move past that so it was a validation for me which it sounds like you're doing the exact same thing that was key for me somebody's actually listening to me now somebody actually cares about how i feel and what i'm going through wow that that's what grounded me in my recovery, that's what kept me moving forward and what brought me back to Christ is being able to, the God of my understanding, switch from a God that was evil to a God that was loving, kind, caring, compassionate, forgiving, you know, that, that yeah. God, you know. So that, 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 that is so, I mean, I, I just commend you guys for that. There's not a lot of people that would do it. Like you say, it's not a lot of academia, it's not a lot of books. It's coming from what God put in your heart, which I think is key, right? Well, and I think too is, a lot of these young men, you know, I mean, we deal with a wide range of men, but, you know, a lot of these kids don't have friends. They've been bullied. They've been mistreated. You know, they, a lot of their behaviors are, are intended to, so they don't have to go through rejection again. Right. 
Right. You know, so it's like they 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 intentionally go out of their way to keep you know you at arm you know keep you at distance and uh and when we can break through to that, I mean, I just remember this kid just recently, uh, but we had a moment out there in the field and man, he threw down his hat and it was all the you know pretty words you can imagine. He's right in my face and I mean he's a big old boy too and uh but I stayed right there with him you know and, and at the end of it, I mean, I I didn't leave him and I was able to hug him and. And this kid ended up finishing the program really strong. And actually, he just called me the other day, you know, just, man, hey, I'm doing great. Just wanted to we'll talk. You know, I always tell fans because they want to ask, hey, what's your success rate? I said, man, I don't keep those type of numbers because there's no truth to it. I can tell you 100%, you know, what's really a good indicator is when I can talk to a kid two to three years down the road. Yeah. Because, I mean, I just want to call and check in and see how you're doing, you know. It doesn't mean they're perfect, you know. and uh, But there's a real relationship built, you know, and it goes back to that accepting and affirming them and, and hearing them out. And still to this day, you know, he has guys that'll call him and I have some that call me. That's what I love. It's not just what me and him, me and Kyle bring to the table. Man, all our staff are bought into this mission of just connecting and, mm-hmm. and, and hearing the kid right where he's at. That's, God, that's so important. Go ahead, Kyle. Yeah, it reminds me of the story of the prodigal son. You know, you, you hear the story. It's like the son takes all the inheritance, runs off, finds himself in the pig pen. And most people start talking about the son and the other son. But for me, the real meaning of the story is the father's heart, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So when the son comes back, he doesn't say, hey, you shouldn't have been in that pig pen. Why would you go in the pig right. pen? He just says, hey, son, I love you just as you are. Like, I'm glad you're home. Like, let's let's get busy doing what we need to be doing. Absolutely. I did a, a series on fatherhood. Miles Monroe, I listened to some, uh, some of his work. And you know, through there, he said the perfect example of a father-son relationship is Jesus and God. That that's if you can emulate that the best you can. Yeah. That's a perfect example of a father-son relationship. You know, mm-hmm. um, got this. Got about another eight minutes left, so I'll, let's do this real quick. Um, so you serve the population group is between seventeen and twenty-five. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, we work with some of those older guys. Um, we have different plans for some of the older guys because a lot of them have had life experiences. They don't need all the training of the chip. Right. They need more of the connection, relationship building. Okay. Our, our wheelhouse is that 17 and 19 year old. Okay. You know, that's who we work with the majority, and that's where we kind of, you know, spend the majority of our time working with those kids. That makes sense, sir. And you also work, like you said, we talked earlier about the parents. You work with them and bring them, try to get the whole family unit back on the same mm-hmm. page. So yeah, there's a lot of family phone calls that happen um, while the kid is here. There's a lot of, you know, visits. Uh, there's a lot of opportunity. So, yeah, we're working with two clients uh, when we're working with the family, the kid. That's great. That's great because you can't, you can't do it one side at all. You've got to be the whole yeah, thing. Right. It's gotta, uh, see, I mean, it's, right. just, it's like any, you know, I come from my, my story of abuse. My wife uh, is sexual abuse and abuse survivors is a family problem just like addiction is it's the same you know my wife lived through it for she knew i was abused but she lived through a lot of the pain for about five years before we got help and when she read my book healing the wounded child within she finally she goes i knew what randy had happened to randy but now after reading this book i understood what was going on in his head and why he was doing the things he was doing Right. So, um, yeah, it, it's it's all it's the family unit. The nuclear family is so important anymore. They've gotten so far away from it. So, um, 
what's the process to see if a person's fit for your for your your program or your retreats and how would they register i got your guys's email up there and your phone number up there but what's the process yeah essentially it's you know you could go to the website fill out the form to get more information or you can just call josh's phone directly he answers all the calls (laughs) so that's normally how it goes He, he talks to mom or dad whoever it may be and then talks to son and we develop are they a good fit? Do they match kind of where we want to go? So. Yeah, I mean, and the reason I do that because I enjoy the family phone calls. Uh, you know, if I can give hope, whether they choose to come here or not, you know, I mean, the kid's not broken, right? right? right. It's a kid that struggles, and there, there's ways to overcome. You know, maybe they can't, they don't have the resources to come here. I mean, we have a lot of connections. We have a lot of wisdom to give, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're not just trying to make a sacred to you. got to come to the shed to find out how to raise your kid. I mean, look, this is an old language. You know, these boys, you know, you said earlier, you know, people who storm the beaches of Normandy when they're 15, 16. I mean, the kids have it in them to be young men, even at a young age. And, you know, when these kids can learn how to carry some real weight and get on that path to being a man, it doesn't mean they're going to be perfect. But they figure out an identity for their life. They figure out a direction to go. They can start walking it, you know. And, and the more they walk that path, the straighter that path will become, you know. And giving a family hope, I mean, to me, is the biggest thing I can do right. um, in a phone call, you know. And sometimes they might need a little more help. But sometimes they just need a little push too. So, so if you, the carpenter shed at gmail.com is how you can reach out to them via email, correct? The carpenter yeah. shed at gmail.com. Yeah. Um, or they can just go to the carpentershed.com yeah. to the website. Yeah. yeah. Carpentershed.com is their website. And then I believe this, I think this is your number, Josh. Correct me if I'm wrong. 318 372 5830. Um, we can call. Sounds like you can call Josh direct and ask your phone call, which is, <laughs> which is cool. Kind of, yeah, that's how it is sometimes. I may regret it one day, but I guess <laughs> right now, all right. <laughs> um, so one last question. Is there a question that you wish I would have asked? <laughs> that question... <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think one of the questions that, you know, is it, common, commonly asked, you know, amongst families is, you know, uh, you know, what is my son's future going to look like? You know, and, and that's a hard question to ask or answer uh, for any family just because, you know, that we don't really deal with destination here because I didn't know what I was doing at 18. But what I do, you know, refer them to is, you know, the hope that we get out of the Bible, you know, uh, you know, that he will begin a good work and you will see it through the end, you know, the whole process. And that's what we do here. We begin the good work. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it takes a, it takes an army to raise these young boys, you know, to be men, you know, and man, the more we can surround them and show them what it looks like to be a young man, the future is pretty strong to being good, you know, because I mean, when you can serve a higher purpose than self, you know, and, and, and hopefully at one point, at some point it'll become God, you know, uh, I mean, your, your, your chances for life being successful are huge, you know? So, you know, the hope I give families is, man, their future isn't written, but it's going to be headed in the right direction because I mean, everyone wants to know, like, is this going to work or not? You know, yeah. that's a tough question to answer. Real tough question. Yeah. Real tough question to answer. Um, any last words from you, Kyle? Uh, not that I can think of. Uh, you got me stumped on the last question. <laughs> 
and it stumps everybody when I ask it, you know. Um, well, thanks for, you know, you guys for coming on today. Uh, thanks for yeah. what you guys are doing back there, man. I wish there was more more guys like you that wanted to do that um, all over the United States. Um, it's kind of inspiring me maybe to, it's been part of my foundation dream anyways, but um, I really appreciate it. And again, Kyle, um, I do appreciate your services to the United Thank States. You. And we appreciate you having us on. Come out and visit us sometime. I, I would love to. I would love to. Matter of fact, we're probably going to be making a road trip next spring. We're planning on it. We're looking to plan it. And that will be right on our loop home. So we might do that. So, all right. So, um, again, if you guys are, if anybody's interested, uh, go to thewoodshed.com. The Carpenter Shed. The Carpenter Shed. I always get that in my head messed up. The Carpentershed.com. <laughs> Carpentershed.com. And you can find out. We take them out to the woodshed. Uh, uh, here's, here's, <laughs> yeah. here's a question I wish you would ask. Why do they call it the Carpenter Shed? So that's one question. Okay. Why do they call it the Carpenter Shed? That's a good question. So there was a cabinet shop that Josh owned on the property. It's, it's literally at the forefront of the property. His father-in-law owned it before him. And it's just because of the cabinet shop, we just named the, the house the carpenter shed. So. I, I think it's a great name, man. I, I really do. It's a wonderful name. And we get to help build young men. So. Absolutely. Yeah. Building new lives, man. It's, it's great. Yeah. So um, you guys stand by. I'm going to close this out, and then we'll chat a little bit, and I'll let you guys go. I know you guys got a busy day. So okay. I'll Thanks. be right back to you as soon as this is through. This has been Healing Courageously with Randy Boyd. We will have a new episode every Monday. Please like us on iTunes or Google Play. If you would like to know more about the services available from Randy, please visit him at changeyourlifestorynow.com. Thank you for spending time with us. We'll see you next week. And remember, if nobody tells you they love you today, Randy does. This arson.